0: for now i'm not sure who said that i've heard it in a place or two i don't think it was original where i heard it but consider that you are the leaders you are looking for isn't it about time that we considered that it could just very well be that god is calling us to step up instead of step back God is calling us to rise to the occasion instead of saying amongst ourselves, well, somebody ought to do something about that. Could it be that that somebody is you and me? And it's probably true that we are the leaders we've been looking for. In other words, if something's going to get better, it's going to be up to us. So what are we waiting for? Let's rise to the challenge let's stretch toward God's high calling let's be the people of God in every sense of that word and why not why not last week we started out thinking out loud and I kind of have enjoyed thinking out loud so I thought we ought to think out loud a little bit more today and the reason that I like it is because when we think out loud and when I can kind of prod you to think out loud And when you get together with your friends and think out loud, we can often come to better understandings. We can discover things we didn't know otherwise. It happens pretty regularly on our Wednesday morning men's Bible study. We think out loud about the Bible and we ask ourselves important questions about it and we try to answer those as best we can. And we stretch each other and it is remarkable how we come up with things we didn't know we would come up with. And I've known this about these kind of conversations, discussion Bible studies they call them in some circles, but I like to call them conversations about the Bible. When we ask questions about the Bible and when we process that with a group of people who are trying to to understand what God is saying and discern how that affects our lives, it's remarkable when we think out loud how we come to better understanding. So last week we were thinking out loud about Oliver Anthony's Lament, Rich Men North of Richmond, and I suggested that it might very well reflect that people today long for a better world. They want the Bible to be true, at least on one level. Most of them wouldn't say that because they may not understand the Bible or understand that it points to the better world they're longing for. But isn't it remarkable how that lament that he has made so popular... Has touched something deep within a lot of people and whether they know how to say it in these words they're essentially saying we want we long for a better world and God at the same time is saying yeah I want a better world for you too let's see if we can discover that together well, that's God's idea of a better world, and one day He'll give it to us. I'm Pastor Rick Stevens, and you're listening to Faith Is. This is the place where we stretch in God's direction, where we've been thinking out loud a little bit, taking that risk, and that's okay. And it's where we understand that faith is absolute confidence in the trustworthiness of God. And we've been trying to develop that kind of confidence with each other. And this idea that... The tenor of our times is showing us that people long for a better world, they know things are broken, and they would long for them to be made whole, is an indication, a very good indication, a powerful indication that, that people today want what God wants for them too. They want a better world where all the wrongs are made right. And we connected that a little bit to Moses because God came along to Moses and got his attention at the burning bush and said, Hey, Moses, I want you to go down to Egypt and lead my people out of there. It's time for them to be on their way, and I want to lead them to the land I promised. And I don't want them to be subject to those Egyptians and their nonsense any longer. Well, so Moses said, Great idea, God. I know how bad it is down there. I was there. Let's go get them. No, Moses didn't say that. Moses said to God, I can't do it. And he gave several reasons for why he didn't think he could do it. Now, this is stunning because here he was, and he clearly knew this was God speaking to him, the God of Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob. Moses knew that without a doubt. And he clearly heard God say, I'll be with you. And he clearly heard God say, all of the things you think you can't do, didn't I create you? Can't I help you do that? And of course, Moses didn't have an answer for that. And Moses finally just said, look, I don't want to do it. Send someone else. Yikes. What a thing to say to God. But when we're honest, too many of us have said that. And and so we followed Moses' story through that conversation at the burning bush. And it's quite involved. And the scripture gives quite a lot of space to that story. And then I said that, You know, we face the same kinds of things. We say to God, well, I can't do this, and I can't do that, and I can't do the other thing. And, of course, God is the one who created all the things that we can do, and he can help us do all the things we can't do, and if we're faithful, he will. And I suggested that we look at the concept that God gives us special abilities to do things, and what God wants us to do, his call to us from the burning bush, so to speak, is revealed to us in those special gifts he gives us. And your special gifts may be simply helping out at at the church. You help with moving the chair, setting up for this, and cleaning up after that. There are people that I have met that they obviously and clearly have a gift to help get those kind of things done. So I don't know what your gifts are, but I do know this, that God has given you at least one, usually more than one. They usually complement each other. And that gift is your mission that God has called you to, just as surely as God called Moses. I know some people say, well, it's just for pastors. Well, it is for pastors. And I would say to everyone who would aspire to being a pastor, make sure that you have no doubt, make sure you yourself have no doubt that God has called you, and then Without a doubt, humble yourself and submit yourself to the judgment of the church to make sure they agree. Because you do not want to be a pastor without that solid assurance that that God has called you and that the church has affirmed that call and agrees that, yes, God has called you and then commissions you to ministry. Now, that's serious business for a pastor. Now, it's serious business for all the rest of us, too, that aren't pastors. Because if God has given you gifts, he expects you to use them. And that's why I can say in in that more contemporary language that you are the leaders you've been looking for. And you are the one God needs to step up right now. And that's how you know what God's mission for you is. And so it's easy for us to look at Moses and say, wow, what a mission God sent him to Egypt to deliver the people. Yeah, well, it's kind of easy for us to look at that, but it's kind, of, it's kind of challenging for us to then step back and say, so God has given us a mission, and it's revealed in the gifts that he's given to us. And I've been around a lot of churches and seen a lot of things, and one thing that I know is the church never has enough people who are willing to face up to the reality that God has a mission for them and that they set out to do it. Every now and then you'll have people get a little touchy. Well, so-and-so so didn't appreciate what I did. Well, la-dee-da. Did God appreciate what you did? That's the point. Uh, believe me, there have been people haven't appreciate what I've done from time to time, and I've messed up, and sometimes I didn't mess up, and they still didn't appreciate it. Well, so what? My response is i don't want to unnecessarily upset people that's not my point but my primary focus is i have to do what god called me to do and i want to do that hum- with humility and grace but i also want to be steadfast so just because you have got your feelings hurt because you tried to do something and somebody disagreed get over it you know maybe you're just bad at that and you need to find something different maybe you misunderstood what god is doing in your life is that too straight for you? I hope not. But we need to think about that because God has a mission for you, the same as God had a mission for Moses. And when Moses finally agreed, when Moses finally stepped up, God was indeed with him all the way through. Now, it wasn't easy, but he did it. And so, you see, we need to recognize it might not be easy for us, but we need to be involved in God's mission for us. Now, one of the laments that comes out of this Oliver Anthony idea is that the people that are supposed to make decisions on our behalf aren't working on our behalf. They are, and I'm reading a little bit into this, okay, they are making decisions for their benefit, not for ours. Well, maybe I'm not reading much into it at all. So we need to to think, okay, now God does have a mission for us, and And mine happens to be to preach and teach the Bible, to give leadership to our church. And in case I haven't reminded you today, I am the pastor of Diplomat Wesleyan Church in Cape Coral, Florida. That's my specific assignment. It's where God has me for whatever reason. Sometimes I don't always understand the reason, but, you know, it doesn't really matter whether I understand everything. It matters whether I do what God has called me to do. And so I keep pressing forward so we all need to realize that god expects us to do some things now i also have other responsibilities outside just the calling that god has given me to be a pastor of a church and and outside those specific church related responsibilities as a pastor our responsibilities kind of extend to the whole community i get that but in another real sense don't all of our responsibilities extend to the whole community and one of the things that, that is going on in our day is related to this idea of stepping up when God calls. We seem to look around and say, we get nothing but scoundrels making decisions on our behalf and they're doing things to help themselves or their cronies. They aren't doing the kinds of things that help people. And so when we recognize that, then doesn't that say to us as people before God, that we need to pay attention. Because God has given us a country that depends on our involvement. A fundamental foundational principle of our country is consent of the governed. So because we are here, and for no other reason, and there can be other reasons, because we are here, our agreement amongst ourselves is that Our government functions by consent of the governed. That means we, the people, need to get involved. And so part of what God has called us to do is to be involved in those decision-making things. Now, some people get really, really nervous about this because they say, well, that's a messy business, and aren't you talking about getting involved in politics and all that kind of stuff? Uh, well, yes and no. I'm call I'm calling you to get involved in life and to respond to the gifts that God has given you. And one of the gifts he's given you, and, and it's sort of a way to think of this in parallel to the idea of spiritual gifts, one of the gifts God has given you is the gift of liberty. And when God has given you the gift like liberty, does that not imply, and yes, I'm convinced that it does, that we have a responsibility to be good stewards of that liberty. We need to take care of it. We need to protect it, to preserve it, to defend it. And so that's why we need to think about how do we get involved in our communities and in general sense, the life of our state and country. And in a specific sense, is there a role for us? And sometimes we might be involved in helping with a neighborhood project or something else, volunteering for this or volunteering for that. But also, there is a need for us to get involved in what we disparagingly call politics, or we say, that's political. Now, I understand the political environment in our day and politics have engulfed all of us in ways that some people don't appreciate very much. Well, guess what? The world changes. And it doesn't always change to suit me, doesn't always change to suit you. Isn't that okay? Well, it better be, because that's the way it is. But that doesn't mean we withdraw and refuse to get involved. See, that's what Moses said. Nope, not me. Send somebody else. And I think God is calling us who are his people to step up and say, okay, what's my responsibility? Because if it's true that the whole country is lamenting the state of the country and the oliver anthony lament the song i guess i should say i've been calling it a lament song rich men north of richmond really points to the fact that somebody needs to do something and and by the mercies of god having given us the gift of liberty we are the leaders we've been looking for you need to find a way to get involved now all of that points to the need to get involved how do we get involved and all of that. Well, one avenue of involvement is to vote, and I even hear Christians occasionally say, "I don't vote, not going to vote. I got, I'm, I'm above that." No, you're not above that. Sorry. God has given you the opportunity, which people didn't have in New Testament times. Many people around the world have no voice in their government. God has given you that wonderful gift, and you need to get involved now. When you vote, how do you decide how to vote? I've said this quite a lot. I probably need to say it more often because I, I think it confuses people. They don't quite understand it. And I need maybe need to find a better way to say it. But I always have been saying lately, don't be frustrated. Don't, don't fall into the trap of saying, well, we end up voting for the lesser of two evils. Well, I, I get that and I understand why people think that. I saw a headline just recently that said, um, why is it that we get the worst people to run for office? Well, <laughs> I thought that was a slightly over-the-top statement, particularly considering the source of that headline, but it's a fair question to ask, and we find ourselves struggling. Do we have to vote for the lesser of two evils? And, and my answer is no. But part of my answer is we need better people, so maybe God is calling you to do that, and if so, step up. That would be great. But the other side of that is we need to think about that differently, and, and we need to get our candidates to now think about that differently as it relates to them running for office. We need to vote for the people that will lessen evil. We don't vote for the lesser of two evils. We vote for the candidate who will, by their decision-making, by what they do if they get that elected responsibility, will they do the things that will lessen, reduce evil in our day. And I think we can all get behind that. Now, is it a perfect description? No, nothing's perfect, okay? But if you can figure out which candidate will lessen evil, and you usually can, because you know what they've done in the past, do they stand for evil things? Do they support evil things? Do they support a colossal evil like killing babies? Okay, if they do, then they're not going to lessen evil. That's, that's a, an e- almost unimaginable, almost indescribable evil to kill a baby. But some candidates support that. They support unlimited ability to kill unborn babies. It's just amazing to me that people's hearts could be that hard. Well, when you come to those kinds of things, you can look at that and say, which candidate will lessen evil when it comes to how they handle the, the birth of babies, the development of babies? So we can vote for the candidates that will lessen evil. I think that's an important thing. Unfortunately, a lot of people, and I think this is part of the reason that this Oliver Anthony lament has caught caught on, has gotten so much attention, is that people are discouraged. Uh, I think he would admit that he's discouraged, and that's part of where this comes from. Well, I understand that people are discouraged. We've all been discouraged, you, me, everybody. So discouragement is understandable, but at some point we've got to get past the discouragement and not let it be the dominant force in our life or let it become permanent. If you find yourself discouraged, and we all would have to admit that we have been at times, then we need to, we need to find a way to make sure that that discouragement doesn't become permanent. And, And of course, while we're going through it, make sure it doesn't lead us to make decisions. That are permanent, that have other consequences that will then make us more discouraged someday. So I get it that people are discouraged, but but we must not park there. Let's not park in our discouragement. Well, why why would I say that? Well, because discouragement tends to paralyze us. Leads to to us feeling like we can't do things. And so we we get stuck. We don't try. We don't think there's anything better that can come, so we just stop. And when we get that discouraged, it leads to despair. And and certainly we should not should not fall in the ditch of despair. We need to always realize that there is a God in heaven, and as long as there's a God, we have hope. And as we'll see when we get to the story of Moses continues, that God leads his people out of Egypt, and God can help us too. You see, I heard a story years ago. I've never been certain it was true. I I think it is. Uh, I looked into it a little bit. It still sounded so, so kind of uh, difficult to believe that I I wasn't sure. But it's a good illustration. and, and, And I still, I come back to it. I think it is true, as much as it's just kind of hard to wrap my mind around it. But as the story goes, the decision was made up in the state of Maine, many years ago that they needed to install a dam across this one river because they needed to create a reservoir of water for whatever reason. I don't know the rationale behind that. All I know is that that the decision was made by whatever governing authorities to build this dam. One of the consequences of that was that, yes, there was going to be a great body of water created that would fill up there behind the dam. And one of the consequences of that body of water filling up was that it was going to flood a town that was in the way upstream of the dam. Well, they made the decision, and the decision was final, and, and the consequence of the flooding of the town wouldn't take place for some years. But, but a curious thing began to happen in that town. As soon as it was clear that they had no choice, they were going to have to move out, and the town would be flooded and destroyed... A funny thing happened that the town, which had been fine and and properly well-kept, all of a sudden, little by little, began to be more and more run down. Things weren't repaired that were broken. Things weren't repainted that needed paint. All kinds of little things began to accumulate, and more and more the town began to look really run down. Well, I think you can obviously understand why that would happen. If the town's going to be flooded, why should I spend my time and my money fixing things up when it's just going to be destroyed? And see, that reality for that town is one thing, but it's another thing when we approach life and our life circumstances that way. You see, if there's no hope for the future, there's no power in the present. And what I want to say to us today is that part of our response to God's call, like we respond to God's call the way Moses finally said yes, finally. I sure would like to hear his side of the story when we get to heaven, wouldn't you? Sure would like to know what it was like to stand there in front of that burning bush and to tell God, no, I don't want to do it, send somebody else. Yikes, that must have been something. But anyway, he eventually did it. And we need to not let our discouragement paralyze us and lead to despair so that we have no hope for the future And so no power in the present. See, we have to press forward because we have to to realize that God is not finished with us yet. Years ago, there was a song. I haven't sung it for a long time. Maybe I should pull it out and see if anybody in my church recognizes, recognizes it. But essentially said, faith in God can move a mighty mountain. Well, that's true. Faith in God can move a mountain of a problem. Because when God decides to move, things happen. We'll see that as we look further at the story of Moses today and their deliverance from Egypt. Because Moses went to Egypt and he said to Pharaoh, let my people go. And it's very interesting, and we shouldn't overlook this, but essentially what Moses was saying, and you can read it, it's said it different ways in the story of, the, of Moses and his interaction with Pharaoh. But essentially what he was saying to Pharaoh was he was saying on behalf of God. God, God put these words in, in the mouth of Moses and Aaron, let my people go that they may worship me. Let my people go that they may worship me. That's a very interesting way God put it. Yes, he wanted to deliver them from the evil of slavery, but he also was saying to Pharaoh, they need religious liberty. Let them go so they can worship me. That was significant in Egypt because the Egyptians thought Pharaoh was a god, worthy of worship and God is saying no I am the God of Abraham Isaac and Jacob let my people go so that they can worship me well and as we'll see and we'll get to and we'll look at the very specific things that God did God did finally convince Pharaoh to let his people go now that was a pretty big deal Faith in God can move a mighty mountain. Faith in God can move Pharaoh to finally say, Okay, go. And we'll look at the, the final act that God inflicted on Egypt that caused Pharaoh to finally say, Go, be gone. But that wasn't the end of the problems either. You know, sometimes we look for this silver bullet kind of thing that will just solve every problem all at once. And then we'll be on our way. Well, they were the people were on their way. And as we'll as we'll see, not today, we won't get to it, but we will see that that they had no sooner left Egypt than they ran into another problem called the Red Sea. They couldn't get across because the water was a barrier, and they couldn't escape because Pharaoh was after them, he was coming after them with his whole army about to destroy them. And they were trapped. They couldn't get away because Pharaoh was on one side and the water was on the other. And where were they going to go? They were trapped. But you know the story of faith in God can not only move a mighty mountain, it can part the waters and let the people go on dry land. So all of those kinds of things to to start saying to us that we we are the People we've been looking for we are the leaders we've been looking for and and I hope you took seriously you were listening last week if you weren't take it seriously now that that God has given you special abilities as a follower of Jesus God has given you special abilities and he expects you to use them to build up the body of Christ the people of God to get involved and he expects you regardless of those spiritual gifts, those special abilities, to get involved in the community and at least stand up for that which is right when it comes to voting and vote for the candidates that will lessen evil. All of that is part of our living out of, of Moses' words to Pharaoh, let my people go. Isn't that part of what we all need to do to to, to honor God and to liberate people? And in all of that, can't we expect God to help us well i'm convinced that we can so moses reluctantly agrees to go back to egypt he convinces the people that god has sent him he goes to pharaoh pharaoh repeatedly says no i'm not going to let the people go Uh, he, he sometimes seems to relent and then he changes his mind he was a stubborn stubborn guy He hardened his heart, Pharaoh did, over and over to what God had called him to do. But Moses persisted. It wasn't always easy, and it wasn't always easy for Moses to hear the complaints of the people that he was trying to help. And by the way, when you step up to do what God has called you to do, it won't always be easy for one reason or another. You may not have problem people that try to discourage you, but it won't always be easy. But that's not a reason to quit. We just press on because God is in it. God's going to see us through it. And so we need to do that. So Moses, he says to the people, God's going to deliver you. They finally cooperate with him. They go through really difficult times, all through the plagues that God says to convince Pharaoh to let them go. But finally, with the last plague, Pharaoh relents and sends the people out. And that's the focus of... Of the final straw that broke the power of evil in the case of Pharaoh and his reaction to God's people and we're going to review some of those things that led up to that when we get into the life of Moses we're going to take a look at that and we're going to look at how step by step God did a couple of things with the plagues God convinced Pharaoh that he should let the people go but with the plagues he also was building strength into the people for them to realize that God had come to deliver them. You see, if if we park in discouragement, then we never rise up when God sends deliverance for us, when God sends a way forward. So that's why we should not park in discouragement, because it paralyzes us, leads us into despair, and causes us to not respond when God has an answer for us. And don't you want to go forward? Don't you want to see God deliver us from evil? You see, that's what he did for God's people in Egypt. He delivered them from evil. And as we look at the Bible, we need to keep that kind of scope in mind that that's what God did. He delivered them from evil, and he was keeping the promise that he had made to Abraham. Really interesting when you start framing the Bible in terms of God keeping his promise and delivering people from evil. You see, this story that we're going to get into in just a moment is really what I think is the quintessential story of salvation that God gives us from the Old Testament. And we're going to plunge into that, and we're going to understand it better. I hope you'll stay with us. I'm Pastor Rick Stevens. You're listening to Faith Is. Come back in just a moment. 25 years, Global Healing has proudly produced the highest quality supplements and cleansing programs that are rooted in nature and backed by science. Get 15% off all of our products using code OUTLOUD. Global Healing, giving you the power to take control of your health naturally. Cofix Rx Nasal Solution has completed the circle and is now offering throat spray with povidone iodine. That completes the protocol doctors like Peter McCullough recommend. If staying healthy is important, you'll want to make sure to add throat spray to your next order of Cofix Rx. For a limited time and exclusive for America Out Loud listeners only, you can save 25% off your entire order. Let's double down against colds, flus, strep, RSV, HRV, COVID, and more. Click the banner or go to America Out Loud shop to get 25% off your entire order. Use coupon code OUTLOUD25. That's coupon code OUTLOUD25. World-class care from doctors you can trust. All from the comfort of your home. That is One Wellness. Dr. Peter McCullough and his team at The Wellness Company designed the One Wellness membership to provide free monthly supplements and unlimited telemedicine access with doctors that share your values. Go to outloudcare.com today and use code OUTLOUD for 25% off your first month of One Wellness. Oral hygiene hasn't changed in 50 years, but our diet and the way we eat has, creating an environment in your mouth for bacteria to wreak havoc on your teeth and gums. For better oral health, Get Spry Dental Defense, an oral care line designed to combat acid-creating bacteria. The toothpaste, mouthwash, mints, and gum all contain xylitol, a natural ingredient shown to dramatically improve oral health. Spry can be found online and at all fine natural retailers. Trouble concentrating or recalling information is frustrating, embarrassing, and kills productivity. Nutrition company Healthy Cell created Focus and Recall to boost your brain power. Unlike other supplements that don't work, Focus and Recall is not a pill. It's a gel you swallow with ultra-absorption of science-backed ingredients to help you immediately sharpen focus, concentrate longer, and strengthen recall. Go to HealthyCell.com and use code OUTLOUD for 25% off your first order. Risk-free, love it or your money back, guaranteed. HealthyCell.com. Code out loud. America Out Loud dot news. Liberty and justice for all. All right, here we go. We're plunging ahead, following Moses back to Egypt. Now, just to keep our frame of reference and to not forget what's going on, we've been talking about Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob, and where that whole idea came from. And it came from... God calling Abraham into covenant partnership. And as part of that, Abraham's conversation with God, Abraham pointed out he didn't have an heir, and God said, oh, you'll have plenty of heirs, you will have a son, and you will have more descendants than you can count, more than the stars of the sky and the sands of the sea. In other words, an uncountable bunch of descendants will be yours. Just trust me. And so Abraham did. Abraham had a son, Isaac, in his old age. He got the promise from God at age 75 and later got the son at age 100. So Abraham trusted God a long time. I hope you trust God a long time, too. He and his wife were way too old to have children, but they had one. Abraham and Sarah had Isaac. He became their son. Isaac then had two sons, Jacob and Esau, Jacob the younger, Esau the older. Usually in those days, the older son carried on the family name. But in this case, God chose Jacob. Jacob's name was changed to Israel because he wrestled with God and people and prevailed. That's quite a story we talked about some weeks ago. But Jacob's line then became the people of God and the twelve tribes of Israel. They ended up in Egypt they were in Egypt to survive the famine because God sent Joseph ahead of time. But new king came in Egypt and didn't like them, and he enslaved them because he was afraid of them. He was afraid they might take over. Well, God saw their difficulty. We don't know why it took God so long because it's more than 400 years before God intervened. We don't know why that is. We shouldn't presume that God was absent on the scene. We just don't know what happened, and we don't know if the people turned away from God. We don't know what happened, that that God was not present for them. But God finally said, it's time, and he sent Moses back to lead the people out of Egypt, because they were still God's people. He had not abandoned them. And And notice what's really interesting about this, that we sometimes overlook. They became so numerous that that's why they were a threat to the Egyptians. See, God really was keeping his promise to Abraham that he would have many descendants. There were so many that the Egyptian king was worried that there were too many of them, and they would threaten him. Well, he had put them into slavery to keep them under control. God says, I've had enough of that. Sends Moses down. Moses finally agrees to go. And then Moses and and the people have to get acquainted, which they do, and it's not an easy, friendly story in, in every aspect. Pharaoh certainly was not interested in hearing from Moses. Moses goes into his presence, and Pharaoh pretty much dismisses Moses repeatedly. Um, the life for God's people gets worse because of Moses' arrival. That didn't help the situation, but... Moses pressed on, and we should press on when God has called us. Just because things get worse doesn't mean it's over. It just means things are worse. And we need to press on, press forward, keep following God. Moses went back to Pharaoh repeatedly, and Pharaoh got more and more disgusted with Moses. And you can read that. And this is the point in the story where there were a number of plagues that that came to Egypt because God was trying to convince Pharaoh that he really was God and that he should let the people go to worship him. And and over and over I want to say, so we don't forget, part of the point of the liberation from Egypt was freedom to worship God as they saw fit, what we call freedom of religion. And we need to stand for that today, the same way God led those people out of Egypt and one of the primary, I guess you'd have to say the primary reason that God gave Pharaoh was so that they could worship him. And we sometimes focus on the slavery, which is bad enough, but God's point was he wanted a people to worship him. And he wants us the same, and he wants freedom, liberty for us as well. So, so there's a plague of water being turned to blood. There's a plague of frogs. There's a plague of gnats. Now, when I say there was water turned to blood, that meant that was undrinkable. When I say frogs, that meant there were frogs everywhere. How do you like that idea? You like frogs in your house? Like frogs everywhere? How many of you love frogs? But think about that. That's what God sent to Egypt. Same way with, with the gnats. They were everywhere. Unbelievable gnats and flies the same way. Flies everywhere. Now I've read some stories about old Florida years ago when it was first being developed. And, and as I understand it, it's just kind of incredible to think. But the mosquitoes were so thick in Florida that mosquitoes could, could attack and kill a cow. Now imagine gnats and flies like that in Egypt. This is the kind of thing that, that God sent to Pharaoh. The livestock were diseased and, and died. The, there was a plague of boils, skin torment. There was thunder and hail. Terrible storm. We have a lot of thunder and lightning in Florida this time of the year. Some of it's really intense. Can you imagine that? And they had that in Egypt until Moses spoke to God and it stopped. They had a plague of locusts. Locusts came through and ate everything. Destroyed all the green stuff. Imagine. We saw some of that kind of stuff years ago out west. But that's one of the things that they had to contend with because they wouldn't listen to God. There was darkness over the land. Amazing that God would bring darkness. They couldn't see. And then finally, one last plague. And it was it was a doozy. It, it, was, it was horrendous. See, God said to Pharaoh that he was going to kill the firstborn in all the land of Egypt. Now, think about that. If we think about that a little bit, we can begin to think of the people we know who were firstborn in their family and and that's what god said he would do there wouldn't be a household untouched it it extended to to not just the families but to the livestock one final plague that god would send and it was bad moses said thus says the lord about midnight i will go through egypt every firstborn in the land of egypt shall die from the firstborn of Pharaoh who sits on his throne to the firstborn of the female slave who is behind the handmill and all the firstborn of the livestock. Then there will be a loud cry throughout the whole land of Egypt, Such as has never been or will ever be again. But not a dog shall growl at any of the Israelites, not at people, not at animals, so that you may know that the Lord makes a distinction between Egypt and Israel. Then all these officials of yours shall come down to me and bow low to me, saying, Leave us, you and all the people who follow you. After that I will leave. And in hot anger he, meaning Moses, left Pharaoh. And that's from chapter 11 of Exodus. So it's a, it's a horrible plague God is going to send. a horrible uh, All the firstborn, throughout all the land of Egypt. But God makes a distinction between his people and the Egyptians. God still does that today. He makes a distinction between his people and everyone else. It's not a cause for arrogance. It's not a cause for bragging. It's a humble thanks that God honors his people and keeps his promises to them. And he did to his people in those days. So they had learned some lessons about God. They had seen the plagues that hit the Egyptians. They had learned that God cared for them. It, it had been A difficult experience, to say the least. They had been enslaved badly, and it only got worse when Moses showed up until it was about to get better in ways they never could have imagined. So Moses, and I I don't want to read the whole story. It's kind of lengthy, but you can read it. Moses, in chapter 12 of Exodus, gets the people ready. And I want to read a number of those verses to give you the idea of what they're getting ready for. Exodus chapter 12, verse 1, from the New Revised Standard Version, updated edition. The Lord said to Moses and Aaron in the land of Egypt, This month shall mark for you the beginning of months. It shall be the first month of the year for you. Tell the whole congregation of Israel that on the tenth of this month they are to take a lamb for each family, a lamb for each household. If a household is too small for a whole lamb, it shall join its closest neighbor in obtaining one. The lamb shall be divided in proportion to the number of people who eat of it. Your lamb shall be without blemish, a year-old male. You may take it from the sheep or from the goats. You shall keep it until the fourteenth day of this month. Then the whole assembled congregation of Israel shall slaughter it at twilight. They shall take some of the blood and put it on the two doorposts and the lintel of the houses in which they eat. They shall eat the lamb that same night. They shall eat it roasted over the fire with unleavened bread and bitter herbs. Do not eat any of it raw or boiled in water, but roast it over the fire with its head, legs, and inner organs. You shall let none of it remain until the morning. Anything that remains until the morning you shall burn with fire. This is how you shall eat it, your loins girded, your sandals on your feet, and your staff in your hand, and you shall eat it hurriedly. It is the Passover of the Lord. This day shall be a day of remembrance for you. You shall celebrate it as a festival to the Lord. Throughout your generations you shall observe it as a perpetual observance. And I'm sure from that you recognize that from those instructions we get what we call Passover. From those instructions we get what we now celebrate. We call Holy Communion or Eucharist or the Lord's Supper. That all comes from this first occurrence of Passover. And it's very interesting, some of the things that God points out here. It's very interesting, he makes it clear that, that he's going to execute judgment. What's he say here in verse 12? I will pass through the land of Egypt that night, and I will strike down every firstborn in the land of Egypt from human to animal, And on all the gods of Egypt, I will execute judgments. I am the Lord. Wow, when God stands up for you, that's a pretty good thing. That's what he's saying to his people here. Now, there's more to these instructions, and, and it's explained a little bit more as you read more verses here. I'm not going to read all of those. But it's very clear what they're to do. This is a very special meal. They're supposed to get ready as though they're ready to get out of Dodge or out of Egypt. And so there are some some specific procedures that God gives them. They're specifically to select a lamb. could be a sheep or a goat, year old male. Your, your lamb shall be without blemish, it says. think about that the kind of lamb you would think you would keep, but no, this is for a special purpose for a special meal. And one of the things that, it's very interesting is that god says i'm going to go through all the land of egypt and kill the firstborn now god's people lived in the land of egypt so they would be subject to that as well unless they did what god said and that relates to this animal that they were to set aside and that they were th- to then kill now when you look at the procedures that he tells them to follow how to prepare the meal and all that kind of stuff It's repeated more than once throughout the the telling of this story that God gives them special instructions on what they're to do with the blood of the animal that they kill for that meal. And they're specifically instructed to put the blood from the animal on the doorpost of their house and on the lintel. So it's above where they would walk in and on both sides. And that is an indication that when God goes through Egypt, he will pass over that house and spare it from death. Well, we get a lot of things from that word, pass over." God says, I will pass over that house. Well, there, years ago, there was a song. I remember s- singing it. It's not particularly, a, in my remembrance, a great song, but it was something that people enjoyed singing. But the song was, I will pass, I will pass over you. When I see the blood, I will pass, I will pass over you. It was a reminder that God said to them, put this blood in these specific places. And when I see it, I will pass over you. Now, I don't know how to get in the heads of the people of those days. I can only imagine that they must have wondered what was going on. They had seen God deliver all these harsh judgments on Egypt all leading up to this final plague so they likely believed god would do it but when god says i'm going to go through the whole land and no household will be spared unless i see the blood how might you have been feeling when you went to bed that night knowing you had a firstborn in your house i, I don't know i hope they were confident i hope they were confident i hope they had learned that god would keep his promises and he did. Now, what's really interesting about this, really interesting to me, is that we we read this and we use the word Passover. Well, mm-hmm. God is going to pass over this house because he sees the blood and he recognized those are his people and he's going to go right on by. Now, the people who study these ancient texts, they look a little deeper at that. And and one of the men who studied that says he really believes that it, it's different than simply that the Lord will pass by that house. It's really an indication that when God sees the blood of that sacrifice, that it's really the Lord himself standing guard over that household. Now think about that. Think about, you're there and your family eats this meal, prepares this meal, puts this blood at the entrance of your house. And realize that what's going on is that God himself is standing guard over your household. That's a powerful expression. A very powerful expression. And that was the point of Passover. And of course they did leave. They they left that night because the outcry in Egypt was just hard to imagine. Because it was true. People in every Egyptian household died. Their animals died. But not God's people because God protected them from death. Now, one of the things that I'm convinced of is that this whole Egyptian story is the the story in the Old Testament that points us to the coming of Jesus, who would deliver us from evil once and for all. And isn't it remarkable to think that when they put that blood in the places God said put it, that God himself would stand guard over their household. Think about us when we follow Jesus and the blood of Jesus cleanses us from all sin. Is God really saying to us, I'm going to stand guard over you. i shed my blood at the cross and I'm going to stand guard over you. Because there's no doubt that the Passover lamb as it's described and they practice Passover every year from this point on It's still practiced today. You can go to God's people and find Passover celebrations Sometimes churches do it not often not often and probably we should do it every year. We've for various reasons gotten away from that But the Jewish people practice it every year. I, I attended a Jewish celebration of Passover one time it was It was really quite fascinating, and and I enjoyed it very much to think that here we are continuing to practice what God said to practice every year. And there's no question that the Passover celebration, and it was a celebration because they were celebrating God's deliverance from the evil of Egypt and slavery. They were celebrating that the Lord stood guard over their households and got them out of there. So they were happy about that. That was a, a true deliverance from evil, and they did it every, every year. And Jesus then took Passover to a whole new level. It's clear that the lamb that's talked about in Exodus as the Passover lamb, and that was used every year after that, it's clear that that imagery leads us to the statement that Jesus was the Lamb of God who takes away the sin of the world. See, that lamb in Egypt took away the sin that Pharaoh had committed against God and his people, and that blood protected them from death. And now the Lamb of God who takes away the sin of the world comes along so that we, you and I, can be redeemed from sin and protected from ultimate death. God will stand guard over us. So Jesus gathers his men, and there may have been some women present, we don't know for sure, but he gathers those faithful people in the upper room, and they celebrate Passover together. And Remember, what they're celebrating is God's deliverance from evil, from slavery. And Jesus now is showing them how what he's about to do on the cross is deliverance from evil, from the evil of sin. God's people had practiced sacrifices all this time, and they were going to be sacrificing at the temple, just like they always had, because that was what God had told them to do, to atone for sin. And now Jesus is saying, this is my body, this is my blood given for you, that your sin can be taken away, that you can be delivered from evil. That's the point that's illustrated from Exodus all the way through the Bible. And it's just remarkable to me that that Passover celebration continues to go on and that it continues for many of us every week in our churches. Don't take it lightly. Don't let it become a ritual. You see, God's redemption matters. And in the case of the Egyptian story and deliverance from slavery, God delivered them from slavery and to the promised land. Now, sometimes we we stop short of that, they delivered them to. Well, it it was definitely true that he got them out of slavery. No question about that. That's clear. And it's definitely true that he got them to the promised land. It was just a long time later for a lot of reasons, and that is what it is. But what we sometimes fail to think about, and that I think is is a real unfortunate mistake that we make, is that we fail to think that God delivers us from sin to a new life. Too many times people get stuck and they just think about, well, God forgives my sin, wonderful, now I'll go on like I always have. No, 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 that's not the point at all. When God took his people out of Egypt, they didn't go on like they always had, they were now free. When God forgives us and delivers us from the evil of sin, he delivers us into a new life. So when the Bible says, when Jesus says, to be more precise, change your life and believe the good news, he's saying that when we come to him, we change our life and we walk in a different way. We follow his instructions and salvation is not just forgiveness from sin, it's ushering us into a whole new way of life. We won't realize that fully in this life, and we won't realize it fully until the end of time, until what we sometimes call the day of the Lord. And then He will come back, and we will live in a new place with Him forever, and all of the old things will pass away, and the new has come. But in the meantime, we can live out that newness of life and have a better life for ourselves and our families and our friends if we will leave sin behind and embrace that new life. problem is... Not enough people want to leave sin behind. They struggled with that in Egypt a little bit, but not us, we're going forward. And I hope you will, I'll see you next week.